In order to retire successfully, you'll need vision. You'll also need a plan to execute that vision. Welcome to Retirement Pathfinder with Barbara Lane and Phil Gusky. On today's show, we'll give you the tools you need to navigate unique challenges you'll face in retirement. It's time to chart your financial future. Retirement Pathfinder starts now. Well, it's time to open up the mailbag today on the Retirement Pathfinders. We're going to go through a handful of questions that have come in to the show, and we appreciate anybody that has sent one in, and we try to get to as many as we can. But today, we'll we'll open it up and dedicate this entire episode to answering your questions. And we're going to cover a variety of different topics, so probably something for everyone in today's show at some point. So make sure you stay tuned uh, for all of those. But let me welcome in Phil Gusky and Barbara Lane. They are retirement income planning specialists over at Pathfinder Wealth Management, where you can find them online at pathfinderwealth.com. Um, Barbara and Phil, how are we today? I'm good. Good morning, Ben, and all of our good listeners. Morning. Thank morning. you for yeah. listening. I'm not so sure how good I'm doing today, Barbara. Uh-oh. Oh, and you're ben. not doing well because no. you're a little puppy. That's right. Oh, yeah. I've got a sick puppy, you know, oh. and, and she's been with me for 14 years, so she's not a puppy anymore. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we might have to do something about that. And, and then to top it off, you know, we talk about what's going on in the farm. Well, bad news there, too. You know, my, uh, my big pond that I put in, it went to seven feet of depth within like a three-week period of time, but it's going down, down, down. So we have to figure out, you know, mm-hmm. how to stop that leak in that pond. And so what you have to do is what the engineers kind of consider like a big diaper that you put on this pond, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like a clay a girdle that you put around it. So hopefully when we get that done, it'll start filling up again and, and we'll get it to the correct level. But yeah, interesting things happening on the farm. All the challenges of putting on. a pond in, isn't there? Oh, there is. There is. You never know what you're going to get until you got it in, really. Mm-hmm. So. Always a new update there. I love to hear it. Yes, yes, yes. Well, how about a poll that you guys recently took? You were telling me about it a little bit off air, but I know you want to speak to it on uh, on the show a little bit. Yeah, we uh, we haven't done our quarterly uh, coaching sessions. We usually do them at uh, the Stockholm in here in town, feed the folks a nice uh, brunch and uh, have a fun time, Social, kind of a social uh, yeah. and learning combination. And we haven't done one since early this year. We thought, well, we'll try to get back to it again since the restaurants are beginning to open up some. So we decided to run a survey and we, we went ahead and polled a number of our clients to find out how they felt about it, whether they wanted to go live, you know, to the restaurant or do a Zoom. And, and quite frankly, I was, I was kind of surprised, Barb. Most people didn't want to go to the restaurant. Most people didn't want to do the, the social get together there. Well, now I think too, Phil, they clo- well, you know, they closed them too for inside, but then we could also do them elsewhere. But then you, according to what you said too, that people really don't want to do that either. Yeah, they, they don't. Um, and, and some are not really that eager to do a Zoom call either. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, basically we still want to stay in, in touch with our clients. And, you know, Barb, you do a great job with yours. I, I try to do mine as, as often as I can. But uh, yeah, the survey says, you know, no live meetings. So we'll have to postpone for some time. Yeah, but I, I know our clients did say, uh, we had a few clients that said, we do appreciate what you're doing right now with the uh, podcast. So, they do, you know, yeah. they're getting those and they said, that's that's good information. So, that's that's how we will we'll continue these. We want to reach out and touch our clients for <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, we appreciate all the feedback too. That's always great to hear from people that are listening. And I, and I know there's more than, than you hear from, but it's always great to hear from those that are actually getting mm-hmm. something and, and taking away uh, some great information, some valuable advice and guidance from these shows. And, and that's what we appreciate. And that's why we're today, we're going to go ahead and dedicate this show, I guess, to the listeners by taking their questions that have come in mm-hmm. via pathfinderwealth.com. You can just log on to the website there. 
Not only will you find every podcast episode, but there's a link to contact Barbara and Phil, and you can send in your questions to us on the show, and we'll bring them on, and we'll have Phil and Barbara answer them to the best of their ability based on the information you provide for us. So let's jump into it and, and take one to start off from David, who writes in, my father-in-law recently passed away and left us some money we weren't expecting. We don't need it and want to give it to our son who could really use it, but I'm nervous he'll just blow it on a Camaro and that will be the end of it. Do you have any suggestions for how to handle the situation? Yeah, I would recommend he invest in a Corvette. No, I, <laughs> uh, well, here's, here's what I need to do. I need to act a little bit like Lieutenant Columbo. You remember Lieutenant Columbo? You know, ask uh, David some questions in order to help him come to his uh, his own decision, really, about this. And and so I'm going to go into my my grumpy mode a little bit. You know, my my mother calls me Mr. Grumpy Pants at times because uh, <laughs> I get a little bit persnickety. But you know, the first question I I have for David is this one: David, are you asking for my advice, uh, or is it just to kind of confirm your decision? You know, is this something that you just you're you're kind of looking for somebody to kind of agree with you? Because really, when you know, I consider advisement different from suggestion. You, you're looking for a suggestion here, and that's fine. But you know, uh, if I'm a trusted advisor, uh, you're, you're going to be more likely to take my valued advice. You know, maybe pay for it and then follow it. It has more weight than just a simple suggestion. You know, a suggestion implies something less. So, um, you know, what is your advice versus what is your suggestion? I would rather offer you candid advice, uh, coaching advice, which means that you may not want to hear my advice at times, but you're more likely to follow it. So that, uh, be as it may, let's answer David's question here. You know, so one of my first questions is, how old is your son, David? You know, is he at a higher level of responsibility? Uh, say he's a 35-year-old, he's married, he has responsibilities, he's got a job, and he, he really does need this money for legitimate purposes. Um, or is he a 21-year-old single guy? you know, that basically will be likely to go out there and buy, you know, a Camaro. Another one is uh, when David says, eh, he can really use it. What does that mean? What does it mean that he can really use it? Is he going to use it for college bills? Is that what he really needs it for? Or does he need it for court costs and legal fees because, you know, he needs to pay off uh, because of his DUIs? I mean, you know, <laughs> right. is he in trouble that way? Uh, is he behind in his sh child support? I mean, these kind of things are very important to ask about. But, you know, I often recommend they give their kids a test. And this is an interesting one. I've used this often with my clients who ask this question. You know, give them each a portion of the money and see how they handle it. Mm -hmm. Don't tell them what you want them to do with it but see what they do with it. You know, and so if they handle it well, well, maybe that's a pretty good clue that they, they deserve more of that inheritance. It's, it's, it sounds like it's discretionary. It's not due to them. It's, uh, it's to your, uh, at your discretion. But you know, the bottom line is this. You know, as parents, we all know the spending habits of our kids, right? We know if they're responsible. Sure. We know if they're responsible. We know if they've improved in these areas. And you know, so you know, give them the money, but determine if giving the money is going to be an encouragement to them for either good or if it's going to encourage them to develop bad habits. Yeah. Well, I think uh, I was thinking this uh, along the same lines as you, uh, Lieutenant Colombo, and that's there's a yes. lot of questions to be asked. But I <laughs> uh, appreciate David's phone call and asking uh, this question. But my first question would be, what do you mean when you say he can really use it? You know, yeah, like you yeah, were saying, yeah. Phil, I mean, it's a, you know, is it medical issues? Is it personal debt? Is he not working? And uh, my first thoughts are to be cautious on, on giving money to a son or daughter if you're afraid they'll blow it. If he's incurred a lot of credit card debt, for example, 
you may want to reconsider giving him money to pay that debt. Um, you know, quite possibly he hasn't learned anything to stay out of debt. If you give money so he can pay his bills, well, then he'd end up right back in debt. Mm-hmm. But we don't know his age. And, I, you know, I assume that he's out of the house and he's on his own. But, David, you can actually set up an account that you control, you know, when he would receive the money in increments over a specific period of time, for example. But it really depends on the amount of money you're talking about. Are we talking about $10,000? Are we talking about $50,000? Are we talking about something greater? But even even $10,000, you could set it up to where you control it and he gets that money, whether it's once a month or mm-hmm. once a quarter. Mm-hmm. You know, but the, the bottom line is, if you think he'd spend it on a sports car, guess what, Phil? He probably would. He probably will. Yeah, because <laughs> you know best. So, David, <laughs> tread carefully. <laughs> Thank you, David. Always feel free to reach out to provide more information there and get some of those questions answered for a better and more complete answer for you. But thanks for the question. Sally comes, uh, writes in and says, I just heard that I can get half of my ex-husband's social security benefit. Is that true? Can I really take half of it away from him? <laughs> well, Sally, you're not taking away from his benefit. So let's just uh, you know get that out there to begin with. That's a benefit uh, that would be awarded to you uh, if you're eligible for it, but you're not taking anything away from him. So if you're getting a social security retirement benefits, or if you're entitled to receive them, the way it works is this. If you're divorced, you may be able to claim benefits based on your record or collect a spousal benefit that would provide you with up to 50% of your ex-spouse's benefit. So if you're eligible for both benefits, then you're going to receive the higher of the two, which is going to be your full benefit or 50% of your ex-spouse's benefit. You only collect one benefit, you would get the higher of the two. If you've been divorced for at least two years and married for 10 or more, and not currently married, you can receive up to that 50% spousal benefit. So if you collect any benefit, just as a reminder here, if you collect any benefit before full retirement age for Social Security, so for our listeners, let's just use full retirement age for Social Security to be 66 or 66 plus. So if you collect any benefit before that age, you will have a reduced benefit. For example, if you collect your benefit at 62, you know that it's reduced because Mm. that amount is right on your social security statement. If your ex-spouse's 50% benefit is collected early, you'll be subject to less than that full 50% benefit of his. If your ex is deceased, however, you can receive that person's full benefit if they are deceased. One important point to remember is this, if your ex has not applied for their retirement benefits, you can still receive benefits based on their earnings record. So that's an important difference because uh, that's different than a spousal benefit if you're married. Um, If you're married, then they have to be collecting in that case in order for you to collect as a spouse. But uh, from from an ex-spouse or a deceased spouse, the rules are a little bit different. I would say, Sally, give us a call. We are experts in this area with uh, retirement uh, planning as well as the Social Security planning. And if you're collecting your own benefit, that's one thing. But when it gets to be collecting, you know, from a DC spouse and ex-spouse and you have multiple benefits going on, or even married, uh, married spouses, uh, you know, married couples, husband and wife, when you have multiple benefits going on, there's many, many options for you. And it's important for you to know what those are. So give us a call at 815-399-9806. We'd be happy to sit down and talk to you. Yeah, I just want to add to uh, to this conversation about Social Security is that Barb is really the guru for the firm in the area of Social Security uh, questions and answers. She's an expert in that particular area, and she has helped uh, many of my own clients in the area of Social Security. 
And and that's something, I mean, it's it really is not something you can change. Once you make a decision, that's it. It's final. That's it's a final decision. So you're there's no do-overs there. So many times you uh, you cannot get the information you need. In fact, uh, it's almost impossible to get through and get an appointment with Social Security right now. Well, they're not even in the office right now, so yeah. anything would have to be over the phone. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Thanks for that question, Sally. Uh, again, you can send all your questions in. Pathfinderwealth.com is the website. Ian writes, my long-term care policy says it will pay out a maximum of $250,000 during my, my lifetime. Is that enough coverage? Well, the short answer is yes, if you are presently 80 years of age. <laughs> okay. and the Or the other answer is no, if you are 65 years of age. And so what do I mean by that? Well, let's consider the following. Genworth Insurance Company, which is a big producer of long-term care insurance, published a list of, of the regional costs for uh, the cost of regional nursing homes and their costs. So Chicagoland region, Rockford region, uh, Southern Illinois, and so forth and so on in the area of assisted living, semi-private rooms, and also private rooms in nursing homes. And they came up with some very startling information that our clients and all those listeners need to really consider. And we get this question a lot. And, uh, you know, people say, I don't want to buy long-term care insurance. Why don't we want to buy long-term care insurance? The biggest reason is what, Barb? Cost. Cost, right? Oh, no, I'm not going to the nursing home. Oh, yeah, I'm going to go live with my kids. That's the other one. Okay. Well, aside from that, here's the reason why you need to buy it, okay? The average semi-room cost in the Chicagoland area is $98,000 per year. Yeah, I was going to say close to 100. Yeah, that's amazing. In the Rockford area, it's about $73,000 per year. And since the average occupancy of a nursing home is about two and a half years, and uh, Ian is age 80, I'd say, yes, okay, that's an adequate plan for you, okay? But we find out that Ian is not age 80. He is currently only 65. So the same nursing home costs in 15 years at age 80, okay, if he buys that policy when he's 65 and when he's age 80, what would it cover? Well, how about this? The average cost for a nursing home in Chicago when he's age 80 is $153,000 per year. Yeah, I think the uh, inflation in nursing homes is about 6% a year. Well, I'll, I'll show you that in a second. You're pretty close to it yet, Barb. It's, uh, in Rockford, it would be $115,000. So, so if we had just a 3% inflation, okay, it would not cover the cost of it. Re- really would not. However, like you say, and what Genworth has found is that the costs of increase per year, 4 to 7%, depending on your, hmm. your region. So what is our advice? Well, have a plan that builds into it this particular provision for an inflation uh, cost or cost of living increase with an inflation rider. And you can call us for details. It's very important to learn the different options that are available in the long-term care market because they're not the same as they were 10, 15, 20 years ago. Right. Yeah. And the average stay is a little less than three years. I, I've had a couple of clients in the nursing home and they've actually both had uh, lasted less than a year. And so, you know, but mm-hmm. you, you end up with a dementia or Alzheimer's. I mean, that could eat away your entire estate. It could be, you know, eight, 10 years or more. Well, I had one that was in there uh, for at least 10 years, which is pretty unusual. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and she had a lifetime guarantee benefit plan. Which they don't do anymore. They don't. She's, no. Yeah, she's lucky. Well, I had someone once say uh, not too long ago that their lifetime benefit, if they were looking at long-term care, was only $150,000. And they said, well, what about, why would I buy a long-term care policy for $150,000? 
Well, now, depending on how much your premiums are, my first thought is, well, that's $150,000 that does mm. not have to come out of your estate. Amen. That's right. So, you know, some of our clients were set up with lump sum deposits for long-term care policies, mm-hmm. and it would cost them about a third of that to fund the policy with no ongoing costs. So, for example, for $150,000 of coverage, they would have made a, a deposit of about $50,000. Well, that's a good exchange ratio, and it, that would pay out to the estate if it's not used. Because the big thing and big thing people talk about with long-term care policies is what if I never go, then it's wasted and, and so forth. But, um, you know, I always mm-hmm. remind people that the person that goes to the nursing home doesn't win. But yeah, um, that's right. I generally will encourage people that have traditional long-term care policies in existence to keep them. You know, even though premiums increase, keep the policies. And a reminder, the long-term care isn't supposed to pay for everything. No, it's not. And I think no, we, we do have to explain that to people from time mm-hmm. to time because uh, it's meant to lessen the burden on your estate value. So if you go to the nursing home, then you've got income from Social Security, maybe a pension, could be from your retirement plans. And then the, the balance of that is where your long-term care mm-hmm. policy would come into play. But I think it's also important for people to know what their deductible period is if they buy these policies, because typically they're three to six months. So then that means that first three to six months is out of pocket before the policy does does kick in. So you have to know your benefits too. Yeah. One of the real life uh, situations for one of my clients was they, they, she bought a policy when she was 65 years of age. She ended up going to a nursing home at age 80. Now that policy premium, Barb, went from about $800 a year to her with six and $7,000 per year premium. That's a huge amount. And every year she'd call me up, she'd say, oh. Phil, do I have to pay for that mm, premium again this year? Mm. <laughs> I'm not going to fill in the blank with the words she used. And I said, well, you're looking at how much money you've got into it now. And I would yeah. recommend you continue. Well, guess what happened? She went in and all the costs that she paid in were recouped, you know, because of what the policy paid out while she was in that nursing home. Yeah. So, you know, it does, it is well worth it. It is uh, many times, I mean, life expectancy is going up. I saw a life expectancy chart yesterday with an annuity company that basically said, you know, your life expectancy is going up to nearly 100. That's what they're looking at with the new life expectancy charts. Unbelievable. For, uh, yeah, for, for uh, required minimum distributions that begin next year. That's a new chart because they haven't changed that since mid 80s. And they have, uh, they have, they have you going up to age 99 years old. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, a lot, as you can tell, Ian, a lot to consider. And I guess it's also great that Ian's thinking about it, right? Because not everyone's thinking about that long-term care policy that closely. So always good to hear. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Ian. Mm -hmm. All right. Last question comes in from Red. He, He writes, I never worried too much about the market when I was working, but now that I'm retired, my stomach is in knots every time the Dow has a bad day. Should I just move everything to cash so that I don't worry so much? Well, the first question, Red, is when did you become so worried about the stock market downs? I know you say that when since you retired, but how were you invested during mm. your working years? I address a client's fears about the market because once in a while, I find someone, we found this, Phil, once in a, once in a great while, they cannot stomach the market. They, yes. they don't, they, yep. you know, they, they've got the head for it, but not the stomach. So, you know, do you, do you have a fear because of what's going on in the stock market this year? Or have you, in your own gut feeling, always been fearful? From our viewpoint, you can and you should have less risk in retirement because now you're drawing down on those investments or you soon will be. If a portfolio in the stock market is designed properly, then the highs and the lows are taken into account. And that term is called standard deviation or volatility in your portfolio. And that is one of the most important numbers when designing a portfolio. Do you know what that number is for you? 
So let's face it, no one likes to see volatility on the downside in the stock market. I mean, this, this stuff, this, this ups and downs that we've been seeing since March isn't really fun for any of us. But the reason that that standard deviation number is important is because it gives you expectations for the downside with mm-hmm. about 96% accuracy. Mm-hmm. Now, there's going to be those outlier years like 2008 and even earlier this year, but most of the time your returns will be between the guidelines of your risk number, that, that standard deviation number. That's one of the quote-unquote important things that we talk about that you need to know. And uh, it's a standard deviation number. When we explain that to our clients, the expectation for returns on both the ups and up and downside, then they understand that. So the question is, should you go to cash? Well, we never recommend going to cash because you have to be right on both sides of the equation. Mm-hmm. You're getting out and then getting back in. And there's no one that can do this successfully. And statistics have shown that waiting on the sidelines to get back in, well, you've already missed the best days of investing for that particular year. So, Red, if if you can't stomach risk at all, then there are alternatives for your retirement dollars. But first, meet with us or someone that will give you an understanding of how your current mix of assets is supposed to work together. Give us a call if you need help with this. It's a good question. And we've been asked that a couple of times within this down market. Um, but it's not recommended by us at Pathfinder. Yeah, the uh, Barb, you and I were we were sitting in on a class with uh, Nobel laureate uh, uh, Eugene Fama, who told the class this. He said, you know, and this guy is a he's got the Nobel Prize for economics. He says not everybody should be in the stock market. Right. So we can recognize those people that that shouldn't be early on, and you need to tell us if if you are going to be leery uh, the stock market. We won't try to get you into it. But here's the deal. You know, if you tell us you want to go to cash, well, okay, tell us why you want to go to cash, but uh, not with the purpose of coming back in at some point. Right. I mean, you can't do that. That's market timing. And that's a sure killer as far as your investment returns are concerned. And if they do that, I mean, they can, but, you know, not with us because then uh, that's, that's not our philosophy. That's not, that's not what we believe in now. Yeah. Well, thank you, Rad. Thank you, Ian. Thank you, Sally and David as well. And if we didn't get to your question, we'll try to bring it on to a future podcast. But we encourage you to send them in to us, pathfinderwealth.com. But also just encourage you to call Phil and Barbara directly. If you have these kind of questions, they'll be happy to sit down with you, take some time to answer them. You can call them directly at 815-399-9806. That's Pathfinder Wealth Management. And we appreciate your time as always, Barbara and Phil. And, uh, and really, thanks again to the listeners for their questions and also the feedback. Yes, we'll look forward to next time. Thank you. Thank you, listeners. Information is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action.